Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Hello, you're listening to Nerdette from WBEZ in Chicago. I'm Greta Johnson. And I'm Trisha Bobita. Before we jump in, we do have a couple housekeeping notes. We're still doing a Game of Thrones recap every week with Peter Sagal, host of NPR's news quiz, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Game of Thrones airs on HBO every Sunday night, and each Monday we meet up with Peter to dissect the latest twists and turns in the Seven Kingdoms. That's a bonus episode each week to this, our regular Nerdette show. Where this week we will be talking with Mike Pasca. Mike Pesca is the host of the Slate podcast, The Gist. It's a podcast about basically everything, and it happens five days a week, which is a lot of podcasting. Seriously, this guy is talking about everything, like probiotics and knishes and Shakespeare and spelling. That's like all of the things right there. Monday through Friday, and they've been doing it for just over a year now. Happy one-year anniversary, The Gist. Very cool. I first heard Mike Pesca when he was a sports reporter on NPR. Which he describes as an odd job to do. I know. It was a little weird, right? It's like, well, I cover opera for ESPN. A little bit like that. (laughs) Right? But as we know here at Nerdette, it's not about what you love. It's about how much you love it, which means that sports nerds are nerds, too. And Mike confesses something about his well-established word nerd streak that he's never told anyone before. This is all very exciting. All that and more this week on Nerdette. Because everybody's a little nerdy about something. Make it snappy, nerd! Nerds! There's more than a few drawings from when I was four, five, six, seven, even a little older that are answers to the prompt that they give you in school all the time at that age, which is, what do you want to be when you grow up? I pretty much always drew a baseball player. There was one time I drew a clown, but the rest of the time I drew a baseball player. And I wanted to be a baseball player when I grew up because my older brother was a baseball player. We were a baseball family. We traveled around with his teams all summer long. There was a batting cage in our basement for a while that left more than a few dents in our washer and dryer. But then when I got to about six years old, I was informed that while I couldn't keep playing baseball like I did in the backyard, now I was gonna need to play softball because I was a girl. This was very disappointing. And no offense to the incredible athletes who play high school, college, and Olympic softball. It's a great game, but it felt unfair to me as a child, as someone who wanted to play baseball, and it still does, in a way, even though softball's a great game. It's part of why I loved watching last summer with the Little League World Series, Monet Davis pitching. Good pitch, screen two. Everyone, including those on the hill on their feet, it's over! Unbelievable back-to-back shutouts. One to get the team to Williamsport and one to get him off on the right foot. It's part of why I love the movie A League of Their Own 
1992 movie with Tom Hanks and Rosie O'Donnell. That movie, if you remember, is a fictionalized version of what happened in the 1940s. Men were away fighting World War II. Professional baseball wanted to stay in the spotlight somehow, so they started the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League. And the movie, of course, isn't exactly what happened, but it does involve our favorite team, the Rockford Peaches, and gave rise to one of my favorite life mottos to this day. (laughs) Are you crying? No. Are you crying? Are you crying? There's no crying. There's no crying in baseball. Why don't you leave her alone, Jimmy? Oh, you zip it, Doris. Rogers Hornsby was my manager, and he called me a talking pile of pig and that was when my parents drove all the way down from Michigan to see me play the game. And did I cry? No, no. No! No! And you know why? No. Because there's no crying in baseball. There's no crying in baseball! No crying! There's no crying in baseball. I think we can apply that to other situations in life. This week's Great Lady Nerd of History, in honor of all the girls who wanted to play baseball, is the story of the day Jackie Mitchell struck out Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig. It was the spring of 1931, and Jackie Mitchell was just 17 years old. She'd been taught to pitch by a neighbor, a friend of the family, a guy named Dazzy Vance, who baseball fans know as one of the greatest pitchers the game's ever seen because of his famous drop ball. He taught Jackie how to throw that drop ball, and it got her all the way to the roster for the AA team in Chattanooga, Tennessee. The New York Yankees were in town for an exhibition game. Again, this is 1931 The Depression is making life incredibly difficult for people, and these small moments of entertainment were a bit of relief. So they did all kinds of crazy stunts at these games. They had costumes and all kinds of goofy things, barnstorming, animals, people riding on donkeys, all kinds of crazy things. And having a girl pitcher, Jackie Mitchell, on the team in Chattanooga was considered in this vein, just a stunt. The New York Daily News wrote this about the upcoming game. The Yankees will meet a club here that has a girl pitcher named Jackie Mitchell, who has a swell change of pace and swings a mean lipstick. I suppose that in the next town the Yankees enter, they will find a squad that has a female impersonator in left field, a sword swallower at short, and a trained seal behind the plate. Times in the South are not only tough, but silly. So to get onto the field to play this game she loved, Jackie Mitchell had to allow herself to be seen as a stunt. But then once she did, here's what happened. She takes the mound against Babe Ruth, the Sultan of Swat. And she trots out her infamous drop ball. First, Ruth lets one go by, ball one. On the second pitch, Ruth swings and misses. Then he swings and misses again, and the record shows that he asked the umpire to inspect the ball, because this drop ball was fierce. Then with the count one and two, Mitchell winds up one more time. She's left-handed, by the way, another reason I like her. And paints the outside corner of the plate, and the umpire calls a strike three. This 17-year-old girl has struck out Babe Ruth. He flings his bat down and, like, storms back to the dugout. And then Lou Gehrig comes up. Lou Gehrig, who would, I think, tie Babe Ruth that year for homers and is another one of the game's greatest hitters. Lou Gehrig swings and misses at three straight pitches from Jackie Mitchell. Now, there's debate about whether this was all a stunt, whether Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig were in on it, whether they missed on purpose. I don't know. I think they just couldn't hit a drop ball. Just a few days after that game, the Major League Baseball commissioner 
voided Mitchell's contract for that double-A team in Chattanooga and said it was because baseball was too strenuous. The New York Times afterwards wrote about the game, Perhaps Miss Jackie hasn't quite enough on the ball yet to bewilder Ruth and Gehrig in a serious game. But there are no such sluggers in the Southern Association, and she may win laurels this season, which cannot be ascribed to mere gallantry. The prospect grows gloomier for misogynists. The prospect grows gloomier for misogynists. You can go to nerdatpodcast.com to learn more about great lady nerd of history, Jackie Mitchell. We've got a link there to a video where you can see old newsreel footage of the day she faced off with Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Tan Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. So, Trisha, I think it's fair to say that you and I have pretty differing feelings about sports in general. That is true. Yeah, I feel like we've just sort of taken the opposite ends of the spectrum. I have a younger brother who was obsessed enough about sports for the both of us that I just like never really decided to care at all. I had an older brother who was obsessed with sports. That meant that because I wanted to do everything he did, I was also obsessed with sports. So, yes, divergent opinions. But that's what's so cool, I think, about Mike Pesca in general. You know, I mentioned I first came across him when he was a reporter about sports for NPR. And he would do this really great thing where he wouldn't assume that you already cared. And so he would find these really interesting elements of sports stories, and I would constantly find myself completely entranced about whatever it was, despite like every fiber of my being (laughs) being opposed to it. He suckered you in. He totally did. And I think that's a really important thing about reporting in general, right? I mean, a beautiful story, it doesn't matter what it's about, you're just along for the ride, and if it's well executed, then the topic can be essentially irrelevant. And I think that's what Pesca is so good at. And it's how he suckers me in every day. If I'm listening to the gist, it doesn't matter what he's talking about. I know that he's going to approach it in this way that makes me care, whether it's Shakespeare or sports or anything in between. Mike Pesca is one of those guys who feels genuinely curious about everything, and he's able to make the rest of us curious, too. I think that a lot of people like sports, and liking sports can be the nerdiest thing in the world. Being good at sports, we've decided, is not a nerdy thing because the things that are nerdy about being a good athlete, there's some of it that has nothing to do with the intellect. Like some natural athletes never think about it. And, you know, even when you become a professional, there's one school of thought, Tony Gwynn, one of the greatest hitters of all time— was extremely nerdy in that he used to look at tape and look at how his arms were positioned. And I guess because that deals with the physical, we don't think of that as a nerdy intellectual pursuit, but my God, it is. So, but then Derek Jeter was extremely Zen-like and he never analyzed his own swing. He never thought too hard, but I guess he knew enough about himself and his own habits of mind to know that he shouldn't do that. That would be bad for the way he played. So to break this down, 
let's say you like sports. If you're bad at sports but get off on the statistics and baseball cards, then you're clearly a nerd. But let's say you <laughs> like sports and are good at sports. If you really think about how to achieve those physical things, then you're also a nerd. But there is maybe one portion of being in sports that's not nerdy, which is just being so naturally gifted and never thinking about your gifts and just doing the things you do and, you know, hitting free throws. And like Reggie Miller is not a sports nerd, but I don't like Reggie Miller. <laughs> So does that mean you only like the sports nerds? Yeah, I like guys who think about the things. They, I mean, if some guy's on the team I root for and he's helping me overall, then I appreciate that. But yeah, no, I'm attracted to the coaches. There, there comes a time in everyone's life, and this happened 10 years ago for me, where you start identifying more with coaches than with players, right? Oh. You start thinking more about the mental decisions they make than the physical execution of the thing. And so, yeah, I've always loved coaches who could say something interesting. There's this guy, Buzz Williams. He's so nerdy, but at the same time a little unnerdy. He's so statistics-oriented. He was this coach for Marquette, and he left Marquette to go to uh, Virginia Tech, which is not a good move, and he was really successful at Marquette, and he didn't even take more money, and no one understood it, and he tried to explain them, and his reasons were so unbelievably nerdy, like he's looked at the history of coaches, he's determined that everyone has a shelf life, he realized he was three years from his shelf life at Marquette, so he jumped to Virginia Tech because he knew he could extend his shelf life. He has a contract that is an ever-rolling-over eight-year contract, but he never will have less than five years left on his contract, and to do do things just to keep himself mentally stimulated. Like one year he said, I'm going to memorize every American president in order, right? So I like <laughs> that guy. Do you think, because I agree, I like players who think about the game they're playing or athletes who are really into the craft of what they're doing and work at it. And at the professional level, I think almost, like you said, almost all of them are those folks. But is there some truth to the fact that the money ball effect on sports is kind of ruining the magic of it? No, not at all. None? Not at all. I mean, you like movies, right? Yeah. You ever watch documentary about how movies are made? Do yeah. you like movies less? No, but I watch them differently. Okay, but not worse. Better. Like, there's a lot of um, embracing of the money ball that all it is, just as some political correctness is exactly the same as being against racism, like, that is some of it. Some embracing of advanced statistics is exactly being against the ignorant way of doing things. So um, in baseball, they used to bunt all the time. Now they bunt a lot less. You know what? Bunting was stupid strategy. <laughs> it just was. Oh, there's so much more magic in baseball that a guy bunts. That's magical. That has nothing to do with magic. I think, I mean... I don't know. It depends what you mean by magic. Is magic something that you don't understand? The ancients thought, I mean, I've always heard the number 13, Tristodecophobia, exists because that was the unknown. We could count. This is what I heard. You could count your fingers. There are 10. And then you count two feet. But what comes after the feet is the unknown. 13. Toes. Toes is I what know, comes right? <laughs> that always explodes yeah, that yeah, theory. Yeah, that's funny. Even when you said feet, I was thinking toes. Yeah. And I was like, but that's 20. But there is some part of magic, what happens after we die, which we still don't know. Who Speak revolves, for yourself, that's sir. Right, who revolves around what? Earth or sun? So there's some part of magic that's just the unknown. And there's some part of magic that's that's alchemy, although we know how to do that. It's a bad analogy. There's some part of magic that's the transformative. That's the inherently you can't put and never will be able to put your finger on it. I think sports 
definitely still has that magic. It's not true that the more we know about it, the less transformative it is. It's still equally transformative. Although there are studies that show on the question of the more you know about movies, are they less enjoyable? There are studies that show, yeah, they actually are a little less enjoyable or art that you know a ton about gets a little less enjoyable. But they further explain that you can appreciate them in a different way. I think it's just about your personality type. Because if you're a painter and you look at a painting, you might see the brush strokes, but you might appreciate the brush stroke. If I look at a painting, I'm just looking at the painting. So, but if 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 an outfielder is now being told, this is the stack of statistics you have to read so that you know when this player is up, you move four feet to the right and you do this and here's the shift for everybody. It takes out that magical moment of having to use your intuition because you're trying to remember statistics. And if remembering those statistics on the field is taking you out of the fun of playing the game, if you're that personality type, is probably terrible. Well, you're saying, like, it takes you away from the magical moment of being out of position when the ball drops into left center field because <laughs> that is magic. That but the is hustle magic. that's required. But the outfielder doesn't need to know it. The coach needs to know yeah. it. The manager needs to know it. goes, move to Don't the left. Don't ask why, move to the left. Yeah, move to the left. <laughs> and, you know, I, I watch Peyton Manning, and here's a guy who's outthought the game of football, right? And I think there's magic to that. He's got a bad arm. Like, if you rank the 32 NFL quarterbacks, he'd probably be 31st in terms of how far he could throw the ball. But I think, that, I think it's pretty magical to think that b- football, the ultimate physical game, has kind of been, he's worked an end around and he's outthought football. And also, like, the more you get into something, the more you appreciate something. I mean, think about music. Like, if you know nothing about music, your knowledge and appreciation of music is never going to get beyond Bachman Turner Overdrive, right? It's <laughs> not going to get a lot, something really simple. I love that that for you is the baseline. That's, That's pretty perfect. much the unappreciated music. <laughs> because, you know, you ain't seen nothing yet. And then when they stutter on B-B-B-Baby, it's like that is music. But then when you do appreciate music, you know, maybe uh, how much more opens up to you. And you might not even hate Bachman-Turner Overdrive, right? I guess. Yeah. (laughs) I can't can't imagine a world where you wouldn't hate Bachman-Turner Overdrive. That's a strong sentiment right there. Mm -hmm. Now back to our conversation with Mike Pesca. You know my rule, right, Greta? No, what's your rule? To be interesting, never, there are a few things you should never do and never say. Number one, let me tell you about my dream last night. (laughs) Number two, wait, wait, hold on. Let me tell you about my wide receivers. Okay. (laughs) Never tell anyone, even if you think they care, anything about your fantasy football team. You will bore them. I am so glad to hear you say that. This, This episode is going straight to my brother. It's just going. <laughs> just straight to Has him. he been boring you yeah. all these years? Oh, yeah. No, he was the kid who, you know, my dad would leave really early for work. And so Jacob would get the paper and he would call up my dad at work and just read through all the stats, just all the numbers, just down the line. And, yeah, there was never a question of, like, is he also interested in this thing? You know, it was like <laughs> my, to take it. my passion for this subject is enough that everyone else is just interested because my passion overflows. That's great. Oh, it was awesome. Except it's about sports. Yeah, yeah. So, and that's why like, I just sort of automatically <laughs> rejected the premise because it was like he likes it enough for all of us mm-hmm. that for the I'm, rest of I'm out. I'm out. Yeah, like Trisha and Fossey. 
<laughs> no, Trisha loves Fosse. That's what I'm saying. She loves oh, it so yeah. much yeah. that it hasn't exactly. caught you off. Exactly. I'm such a renaissance nerd, if I do say so myself, that I went through sort of sporadic levels of interest in things throughout my adolescence. But sports stayed and musical theater stayed because they were just enough. Like one, So my mom's musical theater, my dad was sports. And so those are ingrained enough in me that even though I don't actively follow, like I don't know who was nominated for Tony's last year, but I know everything about every MGM movie musical from 1975 to whenever and the same with sports I still remember super specific stuff about my favorite players from when I was a teenager who were they I mean I had Derek Jeter on my wall because he's got the Michigan connection and we were a Yankee house but yeah so it was the thing that you were allowed to be super excited about I've said this a lot I don't know if I've ever said it under debt that I think that we have a weird thing in American culture where the most socially acceptable way for a man to display emotion is about sports. And so it all comes bubbling out in ways that are way more about everything else in their world. Like I've seen people sulk for days when the University of Michigan loses a football game or somebody gets knocked out of the playoffs. But those same people, when some real stuff's going down in their life, they're super stoic. And then all of a sudden it's like, wow, do we do we care that much that we lost the football game today? And I, I finally, as an adult, tried to understand it as sort of pent up yeah. Pent-up sadness and anger and emotion that gets put onto poor referees and umpires. Yeah. That's funny because, yeah. yeah, in the Johnson family, we called those sports feelings. And they were <laughs> and very were okay. real. Yeah, yeah, totally. And and you had to call them sports feelings because otherwise they were feelings. That's just weird. <laughs> it was a safe space for sports feelings. So we have, we have similar passions because I like musical theater too. And, in fact, I've been casually collecting a list of sports people who are into musical theater. So on that list is former Jets quarterback Mark Sanchez, but he's more a Little Mermaid Disney musical guy. All right. Yeah, so he deserves to be a backup. (laughs) Jim Calhoun, the longtime coach of UConn, loves musicals. I saw he was on the board of like Lucille Lortel Theater or something, one of these theaters. And I once saw Joe Namath, perform in a production of Damn Yankees <laughs> at the Jones Beach Theater. That's what? incredible. There was a moat between me and Joe Namath, oh, as there man. needed to be. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what does that even mean? Well, you know, I think like Tony Danza, the character's name was Joe. He always had to play someone named Joe. <laughs> Shoeless Joe from Hannibal Moe. Yeah. It's a whole musical that's about making a deal with the devil to be good at baseball. Oh, Okay. Thank you. There's Thank a you, devil Trisha. character who's very entertaining. <laughs> so what was it like telling people that you reported on sports for NPR? Like, were people just like, wait, what? Yeah, I know. It was a little weird, right? It's like, well, I cover opera for ESPN. A little bit like that. <laughs> right? Um, sometimes people would say, oh, NPR covers sports, right? <laughs> sure. And sometimes people would say, yeah, I don't like sports. I don't listen to the sports. I'm like, well, that's what I'm there for. I'm your entree. I'm your I – lo- I loved reporting for that audience, which there's – just because NPR is, you know, whatever, 30 million listeners all, and most Americans, I think, like sports. There were a bunch of people who did like sports. But I like the fact that I was dealing with a bunch of people who didn't think they did. So – through analogies and references, I would maybe get on their good side and also enthusiasm. Now, I think the downside to that is, you know, the Olympics pitches its coverage towards what they think of as the non-sports fan. And the way they've defined that is do a lot of stories on triumph over adversity. Like you need the human connection. And, you know, so they've kind of done it and they've said to themselves, all right, we're going to marry the ethos of the Lifetime Network for Women with the world of sports, <laughs> oh right? And yeah. it works. I mean, they get good ratings, I, I watch. But I guess my way of looking at it is to say, you know, I'm going to marry the ethos of a little bit 
highbrow, a little bit funny, a little bit non sequitur. But I also wanted to do the thing because before I did sports for NPR, I would listen to how sports was covered. And I could tell they were saying to themselves, look, most of our audience doesn't understand. So we could go really rudimentary. But as a sports fan, they always lost me. So I had a person in mind, my friend Jason Whitney, who is an NPR listener, who's a very useful guy because he's pretty conservative and he knows a lot about sports. And I would always say, would he be interested in this? Would, would, would Whitney be interested in this? And uh, I never, I think I never did stuff that would, you know, for more than a four-word phrase, bore the person who actually saw the game. And sometimes you do what's called a game piece afterwards. And that's if, you, if you've seen the game, what's the good in that? And I got really influenced by writers like Red Smith and W.C. Hines. And I this big compendium of the writing of Red Smith came out. And for my last couple of years on the sports beat, I've never told anyone this, I literally tried to incorporate some Red Smith phrases. It would be plagiarism, except if accused, <laughs> I would say it's not in a reference to Red Smith. And sometimes I would say, you know, as Red Smith said, but I would just read the way he wrote things. And people knew it, but, you know, the, the point of doing a game piece afterwards is that you can you can add a lot of poetry to it. You could describe it's such a cool thing to be able to describe something that someone's seen in a way that makes them see it anew. So if I ever could do that, I was happy. That's pretty perfect. So when it comes to being a word nerd, mm-hmm. I'm also a word nerd. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to talk to you mm-hmm. about all of the words. Yeah. I feel like you... Uh, how, how, do you how should we do it? What should be our means and mechanism of discussing the words? What should we use? Do I don't think? know. I mean, I have a couple of specific questions for you. You know, one that I've really been lamenting recently that I think you'll relate to, but I'm not quite sure, is the the more than over thing from uh-huh. from the Associated Press. Oh. They've said now that it's okay to use over. That's fine with me too. You're okay with that? I'm not yeah. okay with that. But it's not a less than, fewer than <laughs> situation. It's not accounting versus uh, amount. Well, but it sort of is with more than and over. It's essentially the same thing as less than and fewer. I'm not a prescriptivist. I like to think about the logic of things. But I think that there's this thing where the more you know about words, it just sometimes serves to make you stumble in your speech. Like if you know the fact that it's pronounced fort and not forte, you always, when you come upon saying (laughs) that word, you always have to do the thing where you're like, do I get it right or am I understandable? <laughs> and speaking of lamentable, that's a lamentable place to be. And people always – well, I would say that since I personally didn't avoid over, that doesn't bother me. Now, I know not to end my sentences in prepositions too, even though that's a bullshit rule. It totally you know, is. But I still, but it still stops me from ending a sentence uh, with – Words like that. (laughs) There's a character on the show right now, Last Man on Earth, a Fox show with uh, Will Will Forte. Forte. Will Will Fort. Do you say Will Will Fort? Fort? (laughs) Will Fort. Perfect. And the character that Kristen Schaal plays, that's the first way we're introduced to her as an incredibly annoying human is that she demands that he not end sentences with prepositions. And you hear a litany of them in that episode, maybe a half dozen, where you go, that is not how we talk at all. And you recognize how backwards it is from the way we speak. And I think that there can be different rules for writing and for formal things and for the way we speak. But there's no way you're going to convince me to stop ending sentences with prepositions. You can't do it. You can't make me yeah. when I talk. And it's also really a, funny as a construct. If you're the last man on earth, shouldn't we do away with the worst grammar rules? <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, here we are. You're literally the last two people, maybe. Three, anyway, four. Three, four. I think you're farther than I am. <laughs> so one that always gets me is decadent. Yeah. 
You're familiar with this situation with I know about, decadent? I know about decimate. Tell me about decadent. Oh, so decadent is literally in a state of decay. Oh, yeah. Right. It's like something decaying. Yeah. So like the decadent chocolate cake on the menu, you know, I'm just like, guys. And it always, you when know, people fact, think it of it. your innards and long-term health that is decay. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's how it comes out, you yeah. know. Like, but, but with definitions, everything needs to change and you right. don't. You should never point to the thing that it really means. Um, and someone was saying, well, you said decimate. I know that the literal definition or the original definition of decimate is to reduce by a tenth, right, <laughs> to to leave at 90 percent. What a useless word that would be. So it just means to really – and, you know, it's not even that it – I think a lot of people also incorrectly thinks that it means to reduce by 90, to leave a tenth. Mm. remaining to reduce by a tenth so it's kind of stupid but um <laughs> to reduce to 10 percent would be more significant yes sure. then it would it would actually be closer to decimate it would <laughs> be closer to the definition of decimate between, yeah between death there is one that i really toe the line on and um okay okay i'm going to reveal Yay. something to you good i'm extremely upset by the use of the word nonplussed the misuse of the word <laughs> nonplussed Go on. It is just, it's not that, you know, decadent, we needed a word for that. It sounded good. It was like a natural evolution over time. I don't think people were making the mistake. Nonplussed means at a loss, confused, or bewildered. Think about it as plussed. So what would nonplussed means? Minused, right? So minus, like you're a little confused. <laughs> but people always use nonplussed to mean Nonchalant. He was nonplussed by that. Not English people, not people from England, but Americans always use nonplussed to be, even after he had the pie thrown in his face, he was nonplussed and went on with his speech. Wrong. I would be bewildered too. <laughs> and I think the exact reason that people misuse it isn't that we need a word for nonchalant. It's that they're trying to be a little too big for their britches. <laughs> and I like, I like for them to get their comeuppance. So now here on Nerdat, do you have the internet in front of you? I do have the internet in front of me. I would like you to go to Twitter. I haven't updated this in a while. I've been pretty busy. And I (laughs) I did not know what this was going to be. Every once in a while, I start projects that no one knows about. Another is this. Oh, my God. I am so excited. (laughs) Another one of these things is uh, I gave – I once gave an Amazon review to a book called Performance Reviews Are Not the Answer. <laughs> and the re- Yeah, and the review was just about, you know, I really appreciate the tone and tenor of this book, but he never answers. Are performance reviews the answer? <laughs> like, that's the only thing the book... You promised to answer this yes, question. But are performance... Okay, so <laughs> on Twitter, look up... I think the name of the account is something like Nonplussed means confused, and I've created a That's dog. So many characters. I don't know. I've created a dog character who finds what I do is I go through people tweeting and using the word nonplussed, and I tell them that they're wrong, but I do it in the character of this helpful but confused dog. <laughs> have you found? I haven't yet. <laughs> I love that you have a secret Twitter account. Oh my god. I am minus a nonplussed dog. <laughs> My mission to take back the definition of nonplussed. You heard Otherwise, it here first. I am usually not a linguistic <laughs> prescriptionist. 
Yup. Wow. And you see, I don't know uh, when the last time I, I got to get on that before this thing. Yeah, New Year's Eve, man. Yeah. It's been a while. Yeah, well, that's what I was doing my New Year's Eve. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. (laughs) I was doing my New Year's Eve. It's a cute dog. Yeah, well, look at him. He looks confused, right? Oh, yeah. Is he a boxer? You've you've got seven followers. Yeah, yeah. Is one of them a linguist? (laughs) (laughs) Or all of them dogs? (laughs) Who are my followers? Your followers are, these aren't words. That's my favorite. Uh Uh-huh. Some editors. Some editors. Someone yeah. who likes hockey. But don't you think this thing has legs? A dog who corrects people on the use of nonplussed? It has four legs. Yeah. <laughs> oh. But now I have to ask you, do you think I really deserve to be on the Nerdat podcast? Revealing oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, I think, I think this is your cred right yep. here, for that sure. That is more than enough yeah. Nerd yeah. Street cred. We knew, we knew we would find something in our conversation. <laughs> we had no idea it would be this good. But this is pretty much the most hilarious. <laughs> I've never revealed it before. I didn't know what I was going to do with it, but there it is. Uh, Could you read a couple of the uh, interactions I've had? I try to be gentle, and I try to maintain. Like, I can't get mad at a dog. Dude, we have been talking for, like, 35 minutes, and you bring this up now. (laughs) She asked me about Derek Jeter. I had to go there. Oh, my gosh. Okay. (laughs) I love, love too, because you're right. I think that that person is going, I want to seem a little less shallow, but I want to tweet this selfie. I'll use a word from the thesaurus. Yeah, yeah. And your little friendly dog goes, I don't think so. That's it. You got it. That's what I want. (laughs) The friendly dog is helping people use words right. So this one's really good. Fitz says, I'm nonplussed. And it's a retweet of this other person who wrote, Steven Seagal looking like a Benihana chef. And you wrote, indeed, that is baffling. (laughs) Sometimes I'm not correcting. Sometimes I'm reinforcing the correct use of nonplussed. Oh, my God. Okay, so our homework assignment to the listeners will be to follow It Means Confused on Twitter. Please. We'll see how that does for you. Or invent your own avatar that gently corrects one specific linguistic misuse. Yeah, I like that. Mike Pesca, thank you so much for talking with us. For a long time. (laughs) You're welcome. Mike Pesca, host of the Slate podcast, The Gist. Here's his homework for you. I'd like to assign everyone an article from the February 2nd edition of The New Yorker that I came across about correcting a uh, or proving what was seen as an unprovable math conundrum. It's by Alec Wilkinson. And the great parts of the article included when the learned mathematicians reviewed this outlier, this guy who had no real credentials and him doing this amazing proof. And then there is a small section, two-thirds of the way through the article, where it lists all the different kinds of prime numbers. That alone is great. Some of the kinds are described and some aren't. So I can assign, if you're so inclined, go and investigate all the variations of prime numbers and maybe think of a different label for kinds of prime numbers. Find links to all your homework assignments at nerdatpodcast.com. This nerd confession has a very special place. I think it's fair to say in both of our hearts. My name is Gabriela, and this is my Nerdat confession. I was brainstorming a way to propose to my super awesome boyfriend, Ignacio, who is a total nerd for design and all things creative. My partner and I are avid public radio listeners, and I'm so nerdy, I'm using Nerdat to ask my lovely, lovely boyfriend to marry me. And in true Gabriela form, here is my pun prosal. Natch, you are amazing. 
and brilliant and loving. Our relationship is the sign of one solid friendship and unconditional love. Let's continue spending the rest of our wonderful lives together. This is Nacho Abbott's proposal, but te adoro muchísimo. Ignacio, the decision is now yours. We think she sounds like a keeper. Best of luck to you both. You're beautiful nerds. Do your homework. Your homework is now to get married. <laughs> Cheers. We plan on checking in with Gabriella and her maybe, hopefully, fiancé in the coming weeks, so we will definitely keep you posted on how that all may or may not have panned out. But in the meantime, we need you to send us your nerd confessions. It's got to be about when you were at your nerdiest. Everything from epic fails to humble brags, welcome. We're looking for examples of a moment in your life when extreme enthusiasm, yours or somebody else's, had a memorable result. Call us and leave your nerd confession as a voicemail at 312-600-5638. You know, if you're one of those millennials who hates voicemails like I do, that's totally fine. You can record yourself on your phone and actually email that to us if you want. Nerdatpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to tune in to our Game of Thrones recaps every Monday with Peter Sagal. And next week on Nerdat, nuclear engineer Jatia Taylor stops by. Funny story. So I'm going to add to my nerd cred here. I went to college when I was 15 years old. Wait, 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 wait. What? Yeah, see, (laughs) there's so much backstory here. I can't believe you didn't lead with that. I tried. (laughs) No, that's right. I got got stuff for this whole podcast. I got to met it out. You know, I can't hit it all out. That's fair. That's fair. We'll hear more from nuclear engineer Jatia Taylor next Thursday on Nerdette. This show is produced by us, Trisha Bobita and Greta Johnson. With help from podcast headmaster Joe Dassault and his two prefects, Colleen Pellisier and Brad Helm. You can find links to all of the things, including the sign-up thingy, for our weekly email newsletter at nerdatpodcast.com. You can also listen to us wherever you're listening to us, because you already are, but we would appreciate it if you took the plunge and subscribed on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, or whatever. We're also on Twitter, at nerdatpodcast, and would be very interested to hear what you all think about the Mad Men finale, because it's over. One of us likes Mad Men, and one of us doesn't. You can guess. Now, is that not fun? I mean, the answer, because you said it like that, is that I like it and you don't. <laughs> We're also at Nerdette Podcast on Instagram. That's where I write little pocket-sized book reviews with pictures of covers. If It's gotten to the point now where if like a friend calls me up and is like, what should I read, Greta? I'm like, just look at the Instagram, guys. God. Good. Make yourself a dang quesadilla. Exactly. <laughs> Chicago Public Media creates award-winning content about the issues that affect nerds like you. More information available at chicagopublicmedia.org. Throw us some stars and write a review if you're feeling generous. Like the excellent B. Dashley did on iTunes, here's what I love about this. He not only wrote a review, he updated his review. And the title of that updated review is Updated Review Because Nerds. Yeah, this was really amazing. When I first saw it, I thought, Trisha, we've already thanked this person. Why are we doing it again? But it's because it's updated because nerds. So thanks, Ben. We're glad you like the Game of Thrones podcasts, and we're glad that you don't mind the books being spoiled, because it doesn't matter anymore anyway, right? Yeah, because the makers of the show do what they want. In any case. There's one other way you can help Nerdette. If you're a nerd with a business or who works for one that wants to get your message heard by Nerdette listeners, you can underwrite the show. Email nerdettepodcast at gmail.com to learn more about sponsorship opportunities. Our theme music is New Old Toys by Poddington Bear. Do your homework. Do your homework. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. 
Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.